everyone, and welcome to Creative Edge Writers Showcase. I'm your host, Christy Stratus, author of Anatomy of a Darkened Heart and Brotherhood of Secrets. And I'm also the owner of my editing company, ProofPositivePro.com. This show is part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and our guest tonight is the multi-talented Bob Brill, who is a fiction and nonfiction author, award-winning radio news anchor, journalist, interviewer, producer, and director. So thank you so much for being here, Bob. Hello, Christy. Glad to be here. So it's really hard to know where to start. There's really uh, an awful lot to talk about. But since we are on Authors on the Air, we'll start with books. Okay. And you do have a number of nonfiction books out there. Yes. Do you want to tell us uh, about your nonfiction books? They have, they're have they on totally different subjects, too. Yeah, they are. Actually, uh, I've written three nonfiction books. Uh, one, my first one was called uh, Patty Wagon, um, was Fan Letters to a Stripper, A Patty Wagon Tale which was published by Schiffer Publishing back in 2009. And that was a coffee table biography. And uh, mainly photos, uh, some text. And basically it's the story of Patty Wagon and her husband, Don Rudolph. Patty Wagon was a famous burlesque queen, one of the highest paid in the 50, 40s, 50s, and early 60s. And she married a major league baseball player, uh, Don Rudolph, who had a big minor league career, but a, a shorter major league career. And we got a screenplay for that, which we're shopping, and and uh, I own the rights to the whole story. I even actually own some of the estate, and actually I own three of her costumes, so which is kind of cool. And then I wrote a book called um, uh, Tales of My Baseball Youth, um, A Child of the 60s. And that is my story, basically growing up in the 60s. And it's, it's a relationship book, but it's, let's see, there you go. It's a relationship book, but, and that's me, by the way, when I was a kid, so about 11 or 12 years old. Um, base, on growing up in the 60s, centered around baseball. So whether it was Little League or uh, just baseball in the back alley or, you know, dads and kids and managers and uh, just stuff that happened in the 60s and stories about people and knowing people and growing up. And I also wrote a book, um, uh, called um, No Barrier, How the Internet Destroyed the World Economy. And that's a uh, book that's much more in-depth. And a lot of it's become outdated because the Internet changes so fast. And uh, basically it was how the Internet changed what we know to be the formula for business. In other words, uh, the, you know, you start a business, you basically um, you make a profit, you use that profit to do three things. You feed your family, you reinvest in the business, and you grow the business and hire new employees. And the Internet, of course, changed all that to where it's uh, less employees, more one person doing more things because you could do more things. Just the fact that you and I are here chatting uh, and doing uh, podcasts and video, you know, video uh, taping and, and stuff like that um, was stuff you couldn't do before the Internet. So that's all changed, and it's changed broadcast. It changed the entire broadcast industry. So um, uh, there's a lot of things that went on with that and jobs that will never, ever come back, and uh, people that will put out of work, and some of those people can't get into new careers or have tried, and the music industry, how that drastically changed, and, and, and publishing. My gosh, publishing has totally changed because of the Internet. And uh, it's, it's, in some ways it's been destroyed, and in some ways it's been enhanced. Enhanced because you have 
indie publishers and now anybody, whether they're qualified to write a book or not, can write a book and sell it. And most don't sell many of them. Uh, but you know, you don't have the big publishing companies anymore really getting behind smaller authors. They're just basically behind the big names, the guys that have proven that they, they sell a lot of books. So those are the, the nonfiction books I've written. And I do want to go back to Paddy Wagon for a second. Uh -huh. Because um, I would like to hear about your process with that book. I know that it started with you seeing an unusual baseball card, I believe. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then you collected letters and other ephemera. So tell right. us a little bit about that. Basically, um, for my sixth birthday, and I'll make this as condensed as possible, uh, my sister and my mom threw, a, threw me a surprise party. And uh, the idea to get me out of the house was to take me to the shopping area. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and to take me to the shopping area where I could buy my own gift. My mom would let me buy whatever I wanted. And I didn't have any baseball cards, but everybody else in my neighborhood did. And I was getting into baseball. My brother and my uncles and my cousins all had baseball cards. So I got what we called a rack pack of baseball cards, and it was like three packs of plastic wrap. And um, one of the cards in that pack later on after my birthday party, kind of thing, I was sorting them and opening them was a Don Rudolph card. And 1959 Topps cards, basically, I'll try to pull it up here. Um, basically what they were, they had a cartoon on the back about the player. Well, on his card, it that cartoon wasn't about the player. It was about his wife. And I thought, how unusual, you know, here at six years old, um, I'm thinking, okay, this is really bizarre because Guy spends his entire lifetime wanting to be a Major League Baseball player, becomes a Major League Baseball player, gets his first baseball card, in this case his second baseball card, and the story on the back is not about him, but it's about his wife. The picture is Patty, oops, there we go, there we go, dancing on a table and the ball player leaning in and uh, it says Don's wife is a professional dancer. Well, she wasn't just a professional dancer. She was one of the highest paid strippers in the country. She performed in Indianapolis, all over the country. I have their contracts. He, in 1959, he was making $150 a week pitching for the White Sox. She was making up to $750 a week dancing and taking her clothes off in Indianapolis. So uh, <laughs> it was kind of crazy. And so that hung with me. I mean, here I am, a six-year-old kid, pre-raging hormones, right? Uh, I've got this stripper on the back of my baseball card. And... Um, over the years, when I went to work for UPI, and it was a kind of a slow day, and I said, you know, I'm going to kind of look for these people. Uh, I never found them when they were alive. He was killed in 1968, a trucking accident. She died in 1992, I believe it was, still living in the house they, uh, they owned and purchased in the San Fernando Valley. And all this time, when I moved to the San Fernando Valley as a 10-year-old, they lived about a mile away from me. And that was phenomenal. And I never knew that. He actually coached in the baseball league that I played in a year before I played there. And a year before that, he, a year after that, he got killed. Um, so it all kind of came together. And through a series of other things, I, I found their daughter. And we made an agreement uh, for um, the rights to the story and the rights to the estate. And I also... Um, just a lot of uh, their things through um, uh, it went delinquent in the storage locker and somebody else got it and 
we made an arrangements to purchase it. So we did. And I still have that. Like I said, I have three of her costumes. And uh, the idea behind the book was to do a book so we could get a screenplay to sell the screenplay. And uh, the book became um, a project that I have stacks of fan letters. And she answered all her fan letters. So I, I have all this stuff. And I took the fan letters and we just reprinted them in the book. And we left the addresses in, we left the names in. They leave a phone number, and of course, it wouldn't matter, those are all dead anyway. But um, we left their names in, and um, we're hoping that maybe we find a congressman, you know, or, or somebody, you know, uh, who, uh, but that didn't happen. But we found some very nice people. We didn't find them, but I mean, their letters, uh, some very strange, but we found a stalker. Uh, we put that in there. And I have thousands and thousands of photographs. Publicity stills, home photos, candid shots. We put, I think there's like 100 and some odd photos of the book and 65 letters. And then my text as well. So that's the story that we, we told in the book. So. That's pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, to have just so much information and be able to gather all of that together into one place and really get a well-rounded picture of someone's life. I find that fascinating. I really like um, looking at old actresses or, mm -hmm. you know, from Golden Age Hollywood and right. th things like that for the same reason, because you already have access to their life right. and uh, you can really get the whole picture. So I, I think that that's uh, a very interesting sounding thing. Well, the interesting and, thing too is we we have a lot of autographed baseballs that collected through his minor league career mm -hmm. and his major league career i have one was obviously signed in 1961 and signed or three of them actually one each um they're signed to don and patty don rudolph and patty wagon one for mickey battle one for roger barris and one for marvin Kilbrew. and are three separate baseballs and they were numbers one two and three in 1961 in a home run race when roger barris broke baby's record and uh so we have lots of that kind of stuff too, which I mean, you can fill a museum with what I have, but you know, we're not going to do that. Maybe a virtual museum at some point, but uh, we got to get the movie made first. That's a big thing. That's right. There's a lot of, uh, you know, historical significance there and that mm -hmm. branches out into like you were saying, you yeah. make you mantle and everything. That's pretty amazing. How did you find uh, writing the screenplay? Um, did you enjoy that process? Was it difficult because this is a real person? Um, not really. Um, Yes and no, I should say. It was my first screenplay. I've written 18 screenplays since then. <clears throat> but it was my first one, so it was a learning process, first of all. And then uh, finding what story to tell. And there's so many really good stories that I wanted to include, as well as Hollywoodizing it somewhat, too. Uh, I didn't have to do much of that, because as it turns out, some of the stories I sort of embellished, I found out later, actually were true. You know, and that, that was the coolest thing. Um, and later on, I found out that um, when she was, well, back in 1955, she uh, was in Playboy magazine, not as a, a layout, but it was a story about her getting kicked off campus at USC. Um, two guys got together, and one of them was running for a student body office. And... Um, <laughs> They decided to get Patty Wagon out there to go on campus to drum up the votes, right? They figured they'd get her out there, a bunch of guys would show up that get guys to vote. Um, one of them turned out to be fairly famous, and I don't remember his name, but the other guy who ran the campaign became one of the movers and shakers in this country, a guy named Joe Sorrell, who has since passed away, and I did meet with him. Um, 
And he was the head of a PR agency that ran campaigns for the Kennedys, uh, for Gore, um, some of the big, Schwarzenegger, some of the biggest people in the, in the world. And uh, he went and he hired Patty Wagon to come on campus. Well, a big story broke because the dean at the time didn't want her showing up on campus. This ain't going to happen. And it was in the Trojan newspaper, USC Trojan. It was in the Herald Examiner and things like that. And of course, banging the Playboy. <clears throat> and um, so I interviewed all those people that were still alive at the time, including the editor of the, the Trojan newspaper and Joe Sorrell. And um, it became a really good thing that I could actually write into the screenplay. And that's one of the cool things about the screenplay. So I've got that. And I asked him, I said, uh, first of all, when I met with him, he says, Patty Wagon, I haven't heard that name since 1955. <laughs> and his wife didn't even know about it. And I've talked to his son-in-law since then, who now runs the PR agency. He goes, I didn't know that. And I said, well, I, I got to tell you, and we got to get together and have lunch and talk about it. But um, yeah, so that, that was really cool. And uh, then I wanted to get the stalker in there. And I did that. And one of the things, the most important, one of the most important things was in 1963, um, Don pitched, oh, he pitched for the Washington Senators. And he pitched opening day for the Senators uh, in Washington. And of course, who was there to throw out the first ball? But President Kennedy. And that was the last time President Kennedy did that because in November of that year, he was assassinated. Um, so I have newspaper clippings of that that are, you know, were in the estate that I, that I own. And um, so I have all that. I have pictures of her taking brownie camera, taking pictures from afar of the president. And so I wrote that in there, um, embellished it somewhat, but I put, I got President Kennedy in there. And of course, you know, you got a stripper, President Kennedy, and, you know, so that uh, we embellished that a little bit. Uh, that was a natural without going too far. Um, but uh, so the process itself, like I said, there was a lot of research on that more than some of the other scripts I've written. And uh, because it was a true story and knowing we could embellish some of it because most of the people are dead, you know, who were involved. Uh, although I did interview uh, one game that Don pitched was the best game he ever pitched in his life at the major league level. I was able to reach out and find about a half dozen of the guys who played that game. And I interviewed them and talked to them as well as some guys he played with who were still alive. It was just a, um, tell you real briefly, uh, I called a guy named Ron Nishwitz, and Ron Nishwitz gave up the game-winning home run to allow Don Rudolph to win that game, went 13 innings, and he was out of baseball a couple of weeks. He had a small career. He became a major college coach, and I've talked to him. We've saved Facebook friends since then. He's still alive, and I called him, and I said, Don, I want to talk to you about this game. Now, I uh, or Ron, I, I said, I want to talk about this game. And um, I know it's one game in a career you probably don't. Before I could finish sentence, it was Bob. I remember it like it was yesterday, you know. And it was just one of those moments for him that's like a huge disappointing moment in his career in Major League Baseball. And I brought it up to him. But he was great, you know. And we did the interview and, and uh, spent probably half hour, 45 minutes. And, and since we've become Facebook friends. So it's been 
it was cool. Yeah, it sounds wonderful being able to meet so many of those people who maybe you wouldn't have put together, you know, right. on your own, and then they end up, yeah, actually intertwined in ways that we wouldn't realize. Let's also get into your fiction books. Now, you write Western, actually. You yes. have a few of those. We have um, Lancer Hero of the West. We have The Los Angeles Affair, The El Paso Affair, The Prescott Affair, Santa Fe Affair. And the uh, next one is The New Orleans Affair. The Orleans Affair. That's yes. right. We're coming out with that. Uh, I'm going to start writing that um, in January. Uh, should have it finished and out uh, easily by April. Nothing goes wrong. <clears throat> and... I decided to tackle a Western. I grew up loving Westerns. My father was a huge Western fan. And um, we um, were big fans of the 50s and 60s TV Westerns. And in the 50s especially, a little less of the 60s, but they were still there. TV was filled with Westerns. I mean, it was like, it was the, the most popular genre. And um, at any one time, you could turn on any network channel and you saw Western. So we grew up with that. And I wanted to write a Western novel series. And basically, I sort of combined the what I felt were my favorite heroes from those TV shows and combined them into one character and then wanted to write a series. I didn't want to write a different book every time. Um, so what I did was uh, I created Lancer Hero of the West. And he's kind of mysterious. He's a good guy gunslinger. Um, he uses his brains first, his brawn second. And if he has to, he'll use the gun. And if he does, you're dead. So it doesn't really matter. But the thing about Lancer, on every cover, um, you can see here, I wanted to make sure that on every cover, and you can see it there, I believe, uh, there's a holster. And the holster has no gun. And that was the trademark that I wanted to make, giving the essence that he was a nonviolent man who, if he was forced to take violent action, he wouldn't. And, uh, but he's a good guy. And um, there'll be 10 Lancer books when I'm finished, I'll write 10. Uh, and I'm doing something interesting with the New Orleans Affair, uh, my blog, uh, lancerhereofthewest.blogspot.com, or if you just Google Lancer Here of the West, it'll come up. Uh, I'm asking readers to contribute to the story, to help write the story. Um, I'm asking if they, have an idea or they had something like to see Lancer do and there's certain things Lancer's not going to do so if you know if you're someone writes it and says I want Lancer to um, rape this woman or he's not going to do that it's not going to happen um, but within the guidelines of who Lancer is uh, or hey, you want to suggest something to me and I use it uh, I'll give you credit in the book I'm not going to pay you but you know I'm going to give you credit in the book and you'll get that um, and, uh, you know, so it's kind of an idea I wanted to, wanted to come up with And Lancer, the stories are somewhat formulaic. So to study more about Lancer, my thought is if you're going to do this, you probably should know about the character and hopefully you'll go out and buy one or two of the books and, and read them and figure out who Lancer is and how I develop them. And, uh, maybe you want to take Lancer in a different direction. And I'm open to that, uh, to a degree, of course. And, um, but I, I'm asking for people to do that and I'm just hoping that they do. And, uh, it, it's kind of a fun idea, a good marketing idea. And, uh, maybe someone who's always wanted to write a book, but doesn't know how can sit there and say, well, I got a credit, you know, I, I'm in a book. 
Absolutely. It sounds like a great opportunity, especially because um, Westerns, I, one thing I always ask on my show, I've had a couple of Western authors on here, and it seems that you either consider Western because it, it's a smaller subgenre, but a popular one among people who love it. They really can't get enough of it. Right. And so yeah. I always ask, do you think, uh, you know, is it a tough genre because it's a special one, or do you think that makes it even better, actually? I think it does make it better. Um, and I'll tell you why, because you're looking at a period where you can actually look and read and do a lot of easy research on the period. Uh, because really, you're talking about the Old West, you're really talking 1870 to 1890. There's really just a, a 20 year span that I think um, most people right now, if you're writing about, you know, mountain men and stuff, you're going to be writing about the 1820s and 1830s and things like that. And of course, the Civil War period. Uh, which if you're writing about the Civil War period, chances are you're writing about what's going on in the East and not what's going on in the West. So um, <clears throat> I do think it's an easier genre to write about in ways because you can make stuff up based on characters that did exist. For instance, in Lancer, he works out a tombstone. So he hangs out with Doc Holliday, Lighter, Morgan Earp, uh, you know, Johnny Ringo. So... And those are legendary characters that we know quite a bit about, but stories are made up and stories that they themselves made up about themselves. So there's a lot of license you can take with um, Westerns. There are some things that true Western fans will um, get you on. Uh, for, <laughs> for instance, uh, we shot um, my latest short film called uh, Sundown. And my lead actor who plays Sundown uh, we were talking, and I said, I kind of wanted him to wear a fancy belt buckle. And he goes, Bob, they didn't wear belts and belt buckles at that time. And I said, have you never watched Bonanza? They all have belt buckles. And he goes, no, and I'm not going to wear a belt buckle. You had suspenders or you had sort of a tie, you know. I said, okay, you know. And um, so that, those are things that you come up with or the types of hats, the types of – they're very specific on types of guns. Uh, because certain guns were only used during certain periods of time. And um, so whether it's a small derringer or something. So when you do write that kind of a genre, you do have to do a little bit more research on the incidentals. Not so much on the story, because the story is what you're going to make it. But uh, the credibility angle uh, comes with the, the little details. And, and uh, when I write Lancer and some of the other stuff that I write, I try to find towns that existed that were small towns, like the Santa Fe Affair. Um, I used a small town that existed outside Santa Fe, about an hour away. Uh, and I actually found in historical records, pretty easy to find, um, uh, there are people who are buried in graveyard. So I used some of those names, you know, or I adapted some of those names. Uh, so there's, and that's, that's the fun part too. That kind of research is very fun. For me, anyway, I, I consider myself an historian. So uh, that, that to me has, has become uh, a lot of fun to do. Definitely. Are your movies also in the same vein and um, as Lancer, or uh, are they a bit different? Uh, different in some ways. The first one we did uh, was called Radio Play, an homage to old-time radio. And that was no one was on camera at all except for one guy, on, and he was the announcer for like 10 seconds. 
it was all voiceovers. It was like 19 characters, uh, eight actors, including myself. We did, I did three voices. Um, it was all radio guys for my radio career. And um, so that was basically, it was sort of a, um, a film noir with Rocky and Bullwinkle mixed in. It was, it was a comedy, a half hour comedy. The second one I did was called Not In My House, You Don't. And we filmed that in Texas at my daughter's house. Um, and my grandsons are very active in theater. They're very good. And I wanted to get them on film. So I wrote uh, a short film screenplay. Uh, based, it's sort of a home alone, but with two kids and one bad guy, one burglar. And we went and shot that. And that's basically that. The third one, I hired some other actors uh, that I know. Uh, I wrote based on a suggestion uh, from an actress that I know called The Girl from Sweden. And it's a modern day Western and it's a tragedy. It's a love story, has a love scene. It's a tragedy, has some, uh, has a murder, two murders, well, one murder and one accidental death. Um, blood and guts. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's a real good drama. It's 18 minutes long. And then uh, Sundown is actually based on a, a Marty Robbins song that was written by a member of his band by the name of Bobby Sykes and uh, based on a, a song called um, uh, Sundown, the Ballad of um, um, Bill Thaxton. And what it is, it's a flashback in a full-length feature that I wrote that hasn't been sold yet or, or um, uh, we've been pitching it, but hasn't been made yet. Uh, <clears throat> but the full-length Western called Iron Gun is based on a couple of uh, Marty Robbins songs mashed up. We've worked with the estate on, on the credits and things like that. Um, but uh, the um, within that, this is a flashback. And I wanted to do a crowdfund and wanted to enter some, some film festivals. So I decided, since we needed video, I was originally just going to do a short video. And I said, no, let's make a short film. And uh, short film has been entered in several contests, uh, festivals. We did uh, get the Charlie Chaplin Award for Best Short Feature, uh, Best Short Subject in uh, the West Coast Film Festival. Um, we didn't uh, finish in the money, so to speak, in uh, the Wild Bunch Film Festival in uh, uh, Wilcox, Arizona. Uh, hopefully we'll get accepted to uh, three or four others that uh, uh, we've entered. Uh, entering film festivals is always kind of a crapshoot. You know, if you get accepted, you get screened. You may not win anything, but at least you got screened and you got a chance to talk with other people in the industry about uh, where it goes from there. You know, you know, then it's up on YouTube. And ours is on Vimeo. If you want to see uh, Sundown, just go to Vimeo, uh, search Sundown. There's a lot of Sundowns up there, but ours is uh, the, the only one. Well, it's a couple of Westerns, but uh, ours is nine and a half minutes long. And I think you'll enjoy it. Perfect. And if somebody wanted to watch your other films, would they need to contact you or where, where could they find them? Uh, no, they could find those on YouTube. Um, uh, there, and if you do a search for uh, me, probably, uh, you, probably easier to find if you go to YouTube and search for uh, Brill Pro, B-R-I-L-L, -L, which is my last name, P-R-O, which is short for Productions, Brill Productions. And uh, that's my handle up there. It's probably easier to find it that way. But there, uh, the first three are up there. 
Um, Sundown is not. It's on Vimeo. It's separate. So, but you can go to Vimeo and watch them. They're all, you know, free of charge. If you go watch them up there and, and enjoy them, or they can send me an email and I can send them a link. You know, and uh, they send me an email at brillpro at gmail dot com. Uh, same with the name. So, I'll be more than happy to do that. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Bob. And well, can you let us know where we could uh, find you after this broadcast sure. on social media sure. and your website? Sure. Um, several places. You can go to bobbrillbooks.com. You can go to bobbrill.com. Um, the Patty Wagon stuff, you can find it pattywagon.com. And that's spelled a little differently. It's B-A-T-T-I-W-A-G-G-I-N.com. And let's see, there's another website up there. Uh, um, I, if you do a Google search for Bob Brill, I usually number one or number two. Uh, and usually I'm like eight of the first ten. So uh, you can find me that way as well. If you listen to KNX 1070 News Radio on the web, you can go to radio.com and download KNX 1070 News Radio. And uh, I'm there uh, quite often, uh, usually... My regular shift is Tuesday and Wednesday overnight. I'm, I anchor from midnight to five, and then I'm a reporter during the week as well, so you'll hear me kind of floating around. So Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Creative Edge Writers Showcase. This has been a copyrighted podcast owned by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network and Creative Edge Marketing. We'll be back on December 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern with fantasy author Jenna Green. And in the meantime, you can look up our show on Facebook for updates, and we will see you in our next episode. Mm -hmm.